Hello, I'm Mark Sweeney, and this is Ms. Tree Theater, a podcast feature on which I recap and comment on an adventure or adventures of Max Allen Collins and Terry Beatty's iconic comics private eye, Ms. Michael Tree. At one point, I think I deluded myself into thinking this might be an index-type show or I'd cover Ms. Tree's cases in chronological order. But with my recording schedule the way it is and my desire to diversify my output as best my narrow mind is capable, I've decided to skip around a bit. In this episode's case, I've chosen to bask in the dying glow of the Northern Hemisphere's summer and accompany Ms. Tree and her staff on a Caribbean cruise. A murder cruise. This particular case took place in Ms. Tree's title, published by Renegade Press, issue numbers 45 through 48, cover dated April through November 1988. The format of the Ms. Tree series at this time, if you were to read the letters columns, was a little controversial to keep up with their more profitable commitments to DC Comics, namely the Wild Dog serial in Action Comics Weekly, Collins and Beatty had to trim back the Ms. Tree feature to two seven-page chapters, or 14 pages, per issue, the rest of the page count being padded out with an old Pat Morisi Johnny Dynamite reprint, not the worst feature to pair with the hard-boiled cases of Ms. Tree, but the reduction in Ms. Tree's real estate in each issue seemed to really rankle some fans. For the purpose of this particular story, however, the, the murder cruise told over four issues, the format seemed to serve it pretty well. Or maybe more accurately, the story served the format pretty well. With two seven-page chapters flanking a Johnny Dynamite reprint each issue, Collins and Beatty, along with Finnish artist Gary Cato, were allowed to structure their story like a cruise with a prologue chapter and a story advancing in each of seven ports of call in the Caribbean. As I like to keep these episodes generally between the 20-30 minute mark, uh, what I've decided to do is give a very general overview of the first two issues, first four chapters, and then move on to the more traditional recap and commentary for the final two issues. Uh, But first, maybe I should reintroduce Ms. Tree. Ms. Michael Tree. Yes, Michael's an uncommon woman's name, but not as uncommon as a woman named Michael who married a man named Michael Tree. But that's what the future Ms. Tree did, only to experience immediate widowhood as her husband, the older Michael Tree, was gunned down on their wedding night. This happened in the black and white pages of the Eclipse Comics Anthology magazine back in 1981. And after introducing comics readers to their femme fatale with the distinctive banged hairstyle and the iconic black frock which became Ms. Tree's work clothes, writer Max Allen Collins and artist Terry Beatty set their private eye on a mission of vengeance which concluded in her last Eclipse magazine appearance. From there, a Ms. Tree ongoing was greenlit by Eclipse, published first in color, then in black and white, And the series lasted 50 issues, a couple of specials, and three publishers. 
The last, Renegade Press, ended up printing Ms. Tree in black and white and a third color, which changed every story arc. And this gave Ms. Tree's cases against organized crime, mass murderers, and other creatures operating outside the law a real neat atmosphere. Collins and Beatty took Ms. Tree over to DC Comics after the Renegade Press run ended, where she finished out her publishing history, at least in comics, and in full color, with ten oversized specials. But apart from a 2007 Max Collins-written prose novel, no one's seen hide nor hair of Michael Tree in over 25 years. In this day of the omnibus edition or the digital collection, there's a, a criminal dearth of readily available mystery material, which makes it a great subject for this podcast. So why don't I get this thing started? Next up, Murder Cruise. Yeah, old man with them getting in my shoes. It's no use of sitting here singing the blues. To be my guest, you got nothing to lose. Won't you let me take you on a All right, what do we need to know about the first half of the Murder Cruise story arc? Tree Investigations Associate Mike Mist begins investigating the murder of a fellow P.I., Will Jackson, who, when he was shot dead, had himself been apparently investigating the Circus Cruise line. Mike Mist approaches Ms. Tree for the loan of some manpower with the case, but Tree is forced to refuse due to a scheduled company retreat aboard a Circus Cruise liner. Ms. Tree invites Mist along, and thinking the coincidence is just too much not to mean anything, he accepts. The Tree team, including P.I.'s Roger Fremont, Dan Green, and office clerk Effie, along with Tree and Mist, board their ship in San Juan, Puerto Rico, get their pictures taken along the gangplank. They meet the ship's captain, Captain Abel, who in turn introduces them to two of the principal owners of the cruise line. They own the business along with their bedridden Aunt Beryl, the Carruthers siblings, David and Julie. There, they say, to celebrate the company's 25th anniversary. In a private moment, a dour-looking Mike Mist confesses to Ms. Tree that he agreed to come along only to investigate Will Jackson's murder. At their formal dinner that evening, Tree Investigations meet their cruise-long dinner mates, Mrs. Plett, who won the trip in a sweepstakes, and her traveling companion and fellow school teacher, Miss Morrison. Everyone in the group gets a bad feeling from their snooty waiter, Frank. Next day, the cruise makes its way to Tortola in the Virgin Islands. Ms. Tree and Dan Green attract the attention of the cruise line's owners, David and Julie Carruthers. And they pair off, Dan and Julie going so far as to see their romance up to Julie's stateroom. Dan <clears throat> shows up a little late to their formal dinner with the group that evening, uh, but in enough time to catch Ms. Tree's toast. 
lactose, which she doesn't finish. The movement of the ship causes her to spill her drink on Mike Mist, who doesn't seem to like the smell of the wine he's mopping up with his napkin. Monday in St. Martin's, a suspicious Mike Mist sends his napkin out express to be tested for cyanide, while Ms. Tree and David Carruthers cozy up on the beach. Nearby, Roger Freeman and Dan Green, suddenly very cool on Julie Carruthers, walk to meet Mrs. Plett and Miss Morrison for lunch. But suddenly a screeching jeep runs down Miss Morrison, the first victim of the murder cruise. Okay, chapter 5 of The Murder Cruise, found in issue 47 of Ms. Tree, cover dated August 1988. Written, of course, by Max Allen Collins, drawn by Terry Beatty and Gary Cato. I'm guessing around this time, Beatty was laying out the work and Cato was finishing it up. This chapter opens with Ms. Tree and David Carruthers sunbathing on a St. Martin's beach, but she's interrupted by a phone call. On our way to the beach resort's front desk, Ms. Tree encounters Julia Carruthers, toweling off and returning to the beach. She'd earlier left the pair, hoping to find someone at the bar to buy her a few drinks, still pining after Dan Green. Call came from Mike Mist, who was reporting in the death of Miss Morrison under the wheels of that runaway jeep. Ms. Tree reports to the scene of the crime and learns from the local police that the murder vehicle, which had been reported stolen, has been found abandoned. Roger Fremont takes over the narration of this chapter. Mike Mist, Ms. Tree, and Dan Green had taken turns thus far guiding us through the previous narrative. And when Ms. Tree meets Roger, Mike Mist, and the local constabulary to inspect the vehicle, they find the driver's seat wet and stained with what Roger assumes to be stage makeup. He had just caught a quick glimpse of the Jeep's driver and could only make out dark skin and sunglasses and a hat-covered face. So, not much, really. Despite what the Tree Investigations crew thinks to be a murder and not the accident that St. Martin's authorities believe it to be, the circus cruise must go on. Next port of call, Guadalupe and its commercial center, Puanta Pitre, a town Roger calls run-down, like a filthy Paris or seedier New Orleans French Quarter. He spent the entire cruise thus far itching to take advantage of some duty-free liquor shopping, which he finally gets to indulge in here. He reconvenes with the Tree Investigations group, who are putting their heads together, with Miss Morrison's traveling companion, Mrs. Plett, trying to figure out why their fellow traveler was singled out by that runaway jeep. Mrs. Plett insists Marion, Miss Morrison's given name, didn't have an enemy in the world, and few friends for that matter. Dan is the first to suggest that maybe Miss Morrison wasn't the intended target, perhaps it was a case of mistaken identity. Ms. Tree asks if Mrs. Plett had noticed anything unusual about their trip thus far. The only thing Plett can come up with is that their cruise photo, the one that's taken of each passenger or group as they board the ship, wasn't available when they went to buy it. Roger Fremont goes to check this out with the ship's photo lab and finds that that particular negative is missing as well. Hmm. This sets off all kinds of alarms with the tree group, deducing that the photo must have been used as some sort of identification for a, a murder victim. 
Tree office clerk Effie has a brainwave. She boarded the boat just before Mrs. Plett and Miss Morrison. And sure enough, when Effie pulls out her photo, she's standing right in front of the traveling women. Mrs. Plett is wearing a wide-brimmed sun hat, the very hat she lent Miss Morrison the day before. Miss Morrison was wearing it when she was run down. To Mrs. Plett's great surprise, Ms. Tree and Mike Mist simultaneously come to the same conclusion that Mrs. Plett may have been the murderer's intended victim. The story continues after a Pat Morisi Johnny Dynamite reprint with what on first glance is a beautiful splash page of a St. Lucia beach. That's the cruise's next port of call. It's been customary so far in this story to begin each chapter with a splash or half-page panel establishing the beauty, at least the surface beauty, of each destination. But the dark goings-on on this murder cruise begin to mar the island vibe as sneakily, deceptively, another body, a man in a pair of swim trunks this time, washes up on this St. Lucia beach on the bottom of the page. Ms. Tree resumes the narration as her team huddles around Mrs. Plett on the latest shore leave. They, of course, want to protect her from another murder attempt, but they also want to comb through the details of her life, try to come up with some sort of motive for her attempted murderer. This seems like a dead end, though, as Mrs. Plett has led a remarkably uneventful life. Ms. Tree can only hang on to one detail, the fact that Plett had won the cruise trip in a contest. The ship's captain interrupts their little conference, asking to speak privately to Ms. Tree and Mike Mist. He was apparently contacted by a St. Lucia hotel to look into a matter. A matter of a dead body that just washed up on their beach. We can only assume that the hotel didn't immediately call the police an effort to avoid a scene. So Captain Abel, Ms. Tree, and Mike Mist identify the body as that of Frank, the tree crew's supercilious waiter. Captain confirms that this was Frank's day off, and he had told friends he was going sailing off the beach with a lady friend. And this doesn't sit right with the trio, and Captain Abel takes the opportunity to confront Tree and Mist about their recent activities. Why does Mike Mist keep asking his crew about a Mr. Jackson, who was Mike Mist's friend whose murder kicked this whole thing off? And what does it have to do with the hit-and-run accident on St. Martin? Two detectives play dumb, but the captain threatens them to be more forthcoming with the info going forward as he can be an ally or an enemy on the remainder of this cruise. Back aboard the ship, Mike Mists gets a call, confirmation from his rush test, the wine Ms. Tree accidentally spilled on him, indeed contained cyanide. Mike Mist thinks that perhaps Ms. Tree had been the intended victim all along, but Michael rules that out immediately. She'd been sitting next to Mrs. Plett, and could have grabbed the wrong glass when she attempted to make that toast. And Ms. Tree recalls one more detail. The regular wine steward was not the one who'd filled their glasses that night. It was their now-deceased waiter, Frank. 
At dinner that night, Ms. Tree confronts the wine steward about the switch that night in her own way. From her seat, she shoves her pistol into his crotch. And this gets the desired result. Stewart confesses immediately that Frank had paid him $20 to let him pour the wine that night. In issue number 48, cover dated November 1988, same creative team guides the murder cruise to its next port of call, Antigua, where Ms. Tree and chapter narrator Mike Mist consider the details of the case. A little kid runs across the beach here who I'd swear is supposed to be Dennis the Menace. Freckles, distinctive cowlick. And this is the first of at least a trio of sneaky comics characters cameos in this chapter. Mike Mist opens up a little bit about his own investigation into the death of his friend and fellow private eye, Will Jackson. Jackson had been investigating the circus cruise line in connection to a missing heiress case. This sets off bells with uh, Ms. Tree, who recalls Mrs. Plett, at this point the assumed target of the cruise murders, claiming that she was adopted. Another hmm. That night aboard the ship, there's a costume party, which allows for a couple more cameos on or near the dance floor. Tintin is there, as well as fellow Max Collins, Terry Beatty creation, Wild Dog, the vigilante with the... Violent streak equal to Ms. Tree's own, seen shaking his rump on the dance floor. The Tree Investigations group gets into the swing of things with costumes of their own, and these can be seen best on this issue's cover, which I haven't really talked about uh, to this point, the covers. Uh, They're always great-looking Terry Beatty compositions. They always work in a mention or illustration of the Johnny Dynamite feature, but I'll reproduce two of them on, uh, on the show's blog. This issue's cover shows the tree group in costume, Effie as a cowgirl, Roger as a dour clown, Dan as a pirate, Mike Mist passes for Sherlock Holmes, and Ms. Tree in a fetching pose is a leopard with spotted boot cuffs and skirt, clawed shawl, and leopard head hat. The Shanna the She-Devil fan in me approves of this look. At the party, Mrs. Plitt, dressed maybe as Red Riding Hood with a long cape and hood, she complains to Mike Mist about not feeling well and excuses herself to the ship's deck outside, while Ms. Tree, dancing in the arms of Crew's co-owner, David Carruthers, excuses herself to powder her nose. Out on the ship's deck, a lone hooded figure is approached from behind by a masked Zorro, Zorro breaks into a rush, arms extended, obviously intending to push Mrs. Plett over the railing. But a leopard-spotted boot swings out from the cloak, and Ms. Tree catches Zorro right in the gut, knocking the wind out of the attempted murderer. Surprised at the identity of his victim, Zorro whips out a blade, but it's held from behind by Mike Mist. Tree gives him another kick, and it's time for the unmasking. It's the ship's Mater D who tried pushing Mrs. Plett overboard, and he promises to tell them everything. The opening page to the final chapter finds us in the lush greenery of St. Thomas, and in her narration, Ms. Tree describes one of several built-into-the-steep-hills stone staircases on St. Thomas at the 
top of which is a tower called Blackbeard's Tower. Apparently has a breathtaking view. And that, folks, is called foreshadowing. David Carruthers has invited Ms. Tree to do some sightseeing on the island, and they're currently enjoying that breathtaking view from the top of the tower. At least for the moment. Carruthers mentions the attempt on Mrs. Plett's life the night before, and the Mater D, who's now incarcerated in the brig. Ms. Tree responds that once he's in the hands of the American authorities, she expects he'll spill the beans and tell all about Carruthers' scheme. Carruthers is shocked at this accusation against himself and his sister. He calls her mad. And in one of my favorite responses of the storyline, Ms. Tree says, I'm not mad. I'm pissed off. And she rattles off the facts of the case, apparently worked out with her team based on the Mater D's spilled guts. So old Aunt Beryl, the primary shareholder in the cruise line, is dying, and rather than see her business and fortune fall completely into her despicable nieces and nephews' hands, she'd hired Will Jackson, Mike Mist's friend, to find her missing relation, Mrs. Plett. To preserve their inheritance, Ms. Tree claims to Carruthers' denial that the siblings had Jackson murdered, fixed the crew's sweepstakes so that Mrs. Plett would win, Now, this seems like the longest stretch to me, but I'm prepared to go with it. And when the cyanide and the wine at dinner thing failed, the waiter Frank must have paid with his life for his silence in this matter. They decided to take matters into their own hands. By now, Ms. Tree has pulled a gun out of her purse to keep Carruthers at bay as she continues the breakdown. Carruthers played his part in keeping Ms. Tree busy that day on the beach in St. Martin, while his sister excused herself, donned a khaki suit over her wet swim gear, and grease paint on her skin for the next attempt on Mrs. Plett's life. Only she ran down the wrong lady. But her disguise accounts for the wet seat and paint stains that the tree group found on the abandoned murder jeep. And as if on cue, Julia Carruthers announces herself at the top of Blackbeard's tower, pointing a gun at Ms. Tree. She adds to the story herself with the little detail that Will Jackson, the private eye, approached the siblings with the information about Aunt Beryl's missing heir in an attempt to play both sides and blackmail them, which apparently got this whole thing rolling. As Julie takes Ms. Tree's gun from her hand, she asks her brother to throw her over the edge. And he responds, with pleasure, but Ms. Tree surprises him and throws a shoulder into this creep, sending him over to an impactful death below. See, the view from the top was literally breathtaking in David Carruthers' case. A visibly shocked Julia confesses in a detail that I find kind of unnecessary. They ended up being creepy enough. That David, her brother, was more than just a brother to her. And with both guns drawn at Ms. Tree, claims that she despises her for what she's done. But Julie doesn't get to do anything about it as Mike Mist shows up in the nick of time, shoots Julie right through the chest. And in the last panel of the story, Ms. Tree narrates that she's 
spared Mist the less savory details about his murdered friend, the whole blackmail thing, and that Mrs. Plett, the now sole heir to the Circus Cruise Line, over a champagne toast, has invited the whole crew back next year for a free vacation. So I'd consider Murder Cruise a typically good mystery case file with its plots, twists, and turns. The list of usual suspects, Ms. Tree's sharp wit and tongue, and of course the loads of violence. It does stand out, I think, in the Ms. Tree canon for its tropical setting. It was rare for Ms. Tree and crew to get out of the city, uh, so this was a nice change of pace. It was nice to see Mike Mist as involved as he was in this Tree Investigations case. Mist is a Collins Beatty character that actually predates Ms. Tree. The Mike Mist Minute Mysteries syndicated comic strip was one of the earliest collaborations between the two, and that feature would continue throughout Ms. Tree's independence run, taking up at most two pages in the middle of each issue of her title. The implication of incest between the two villains in the murder cruise was, I think, maybe... I think maybe that went a little overboard, if you'll excuse the cruise ship pun, as the murder of at least three people and the attempted killing of several more was enough to set uh, the Carruthers siblings apart as particularly nasty people. And I think the last chapters weighted down a bit with exposition, but that's not unusual in even the, the very best mysteries, I think. And Max Collins is a pro who you can count on for at the very least a well-constructed and entertaining mystery story every time every time out. I chose the murder cruise, as I mentioned early on, as a way to say goodbye to summer. With the way each tropical location on the cruise is given a beautifully rendered cameo by Terry Beatty and Gary Cato at the beginning of each chapter. The third color this time out was blue, which was used, of course, to tint the crystal clear waters of the Caribbean, but also lent an interesting effect to flashback scenes with the way it was used as a color hold, so without black ink. And the blue also helped separate characters and crowd scenes. That third color always helped give the Ms. Tree comic a signature look. I will reproduce some of these images on the show's blog, itgblogcast.blogspot.com, so please check those out if you're interested. And check out my Instagram, at ITGBlogCast, where I'll usually preview some images from upcoming projects and also post some more general comics content. Okay, I think that will do it for this act of Ms. Tree Theater. Thanks for listening, and take care. Take care.